Tonight we're slightly um, changing track a little bit, and we're going to be looking at an interesting account, um, which we could call a day in the life of Stephen. Um, and Stephen is a really fascinating character um, in, in the book of Acts. He's certainly, um, I'd say, one an incredibly inspirational young man. And Stephen was a man who was... Um, asked by the disciples or the apostles of the time to come in and to wait on tables. That was his role in the body of Christ. So he was on the hospitality team. Um, He was working in the cafe. Maybe he helped on the door. Um, Not the most glamorous of roles, and yet he demonstrated one of the most incredible lives of, I would say, almost anyone in Scripture. Um, And... So what we're going to be looking at tonight um, is um, we're going to be looking at what it means to operate in a a gift or in a function and the importance of that versus the heartbeat that this man Stephen operated from. So we're going to be looking at what he did, but also how he did it and what this expression of the life of God looked like within him as he ministered not just in serving tables, but ministered to the body of Christ um, and demonstrated what I believe to be the the glory of God on the earth just through his very life. Is that cool? Yep. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to um, Acts. Acts, thank you, chapter 6. It's about three quarters of the way through on the right-hand side, on the left-hand column of the right-hand side. <laughs> but um, chapter 6, thank you. <laughs> All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to read from um, chapter 6, um, verses 1 through to 15, and then we're going to flip over the page and we're going to read um, chapter 7, 54 through to 60. So I'll read the first part, and um, Sandra, do you want to read the second part? All right. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews about the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicodor, whatever it is, Timon, Pamians, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, uh, freedmen including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place, alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. 
The high priest said, are these things true? And he said to me, here, brethren and fathers, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham. And he goes on and gives a, a powerful sermon about the the work of God throughout um, um, the last however many thousands of years um, in, in his people. All right. Over to you, Sandra. So um, chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Cool. Fascinating passage, eh? Powerful passage. And so... Um, like I was saying before, we have this young man, Stephen. And what I love is that this is a community um, of believers here in Acts, much like what we have today. And so a complaint came up that these widows were being overlooked in the service of food. And so the disciples say, well, look, we really want to make sure that we're still being focused in on prayer and ministering the word of God. So we need some people to take care of this issue that we have. Um, and they choose Stephen and a number of others to come and wait on tables and to serve these widows. And Stephen is an incredible guy, and he is totally cool waiting on tables. But yet, this wasn't the only thing that this guy was known for. He didn't get put down in the Bible for the rest of history just for waiting tables. We see that as he starts to minister faithfully in what what we might say could be the gift of hospitality, there's more and more that starts to naturally come out of this man. He starts ministering to people around him. Signs and wonders. He's praying for the sick. People are getting healed and incredible miracles are taking place from this nobody who was called to serve tables. And people catch word of this young man who's moving in these miraculous wonders and they come to challenge him, but they can't cope, it says, with the spirit that he was um, operating from the, some of the most wise, learned um, scribes and elders were coming to try and debate him, but could not contain this young man who was full of the Spirit of God. And so they accuse him and they they bring these false witnesses against him, trying to make it sound like he is saying something that he's not. And then we hear we leading into. Um, this incredible sermon that Stephen preaches as it says that he makes his defense against these men who um, were trying to derail what it was that he was bringing. Um, And we're not going to go into the sermon tonight because there's some key things I think in here that we can pull out about this man who was functioning in a role and in in a gift, but really a man who was filled with the life and the power of God, whose ministry was much greater than just his functional role, um, but was in the very um, power and authority of Christ himself. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Is that cool? Silent crowd tonight. You guys are more than welcome to get involved. Uh, Sina, we're relying on you. You're welcome to be involved. You're actually welcome to stop us if you have a question. You're welcome to make comments. You're welcome to, um, you know, get up and sing hallelujah if you think it's, it's really good. Um, but this is, um, this is about, um, the equipping of the body of Christ. So this, I, we see this as a fully interactional night. So we'll go for about half an hour. Um, and then we're going to allow a good half an hour tonight for discussion, um, amongst the tables. Is that cool? So even if um, even if you think that you're going to be able to hide and not say something to us on the microphone, 
you'll get caught up in the in the discussion. So do be involved, is all I'm saying. All right, I think what we're going to do um, is we're going to actually just start from verse 1, if that's cool with you guys. Um, and we'll work our way through, and I think there's going to be heaps of cool things that we can um, learn from this powerful passage. All right, 6, verse 1 and 2. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve so the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Interesting, eh? So we have this situation where the widows are being overlooked in the service of food. And the first thing that grabbed me was that the apostles who were were involved in this incredible revival that was speaking that was sweeping the earth had the love in their hearts to stop when something came up about widows not being fed appropriately and to address such a minor and minute issue as that. So it'd be cool to hear from you guys. Like, what what do you see going on here? And what is it that the what the disciples are, or the apostles are concerned about and how do they respond? I think um, the thing that strikes me is that that God is increasing them, right? And and they're one in spirit, and something is threatening their oneness, and that really needs to be addressed um, because um, that's so basic. So while it's a a, a specific issue, there's complaining. Now, complaining has also been, we, we should prick our ears up at the word complaining because um, that is spoken about that they didn't enter in because of their complaining and their grumbling. So there, there is, God is building his church and they, there is a purpose and a plan for this work and it has to be his work doing it his way and when Things are, are cropping up that are potentially going to take his church off the way of being built by him. It needs to be addressed. So this is not a minor issue in its heart. The heartbeat of it is not minor. Um, the, the actual outworking of it might be over a little thing. And that was the case with the Israelites. They were complaining about their food. They were, they were complaining about little things. But they didn't enter in because of this lack of sight and the lack of um, being being directed into this one place. So the apostles, when they were addressing this, they were actually bringing the church back into alignment into what what God was actually doing. So it's not a um, please don't read this as a, a hierarchy of jobs and they're too important to serve tables. It's so easy to read things like this in the flesh, but that is not what this is about. This is about God building his church, and the apostles are given this authority and this oversight to see what's going on, and they are going after oneness. And if you back the truck up a little bit, a couple of um, chapters, you see um, that they there's land that is being sold, and the money is being put at the apostles' seat, uh, um, feet, and you see that with, with Barnabas, I think this is um, chapter 4. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira. And that, again, it's an issue of oneness. Um, so that's why there was such a dramatic um, uh, response from the Lord about what was happening in there. So something was threatening the, the building of the church. And this is what this matter is as well. So please don't see this through the natural sight. See the the wholeness of what God has called us for, the eternal purpose, and then these things will come into into very plain view as to why they're so important. And I love that what you're saying about complaining, you know, because I think, like you're saying, what seems minor on the outside has an entire root system that's attached to it, you know? Um, and I think like, like you're saying, com- 
like complaining is often the first sign of sight going from eyes on him to all of a sudden you're looking inward and because you would never complain if you knew that everything that was available for life and godliness was found in him you know either you if if there really is an, an issue and a situation at hand you would submit yourself to God and allow him to work within you to change whatever it is that is in your heart or you would go to that person and address the situation um, and 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 right the wrong and move forward that way. But com- but complaining does neither of those things. It doesn't address the issue in you, and it doesn't address the issue in the other person. It allows a root of bitterness and a root of self to keep manifesting. Um, what does it say? Don't let a root of bitterness spring up and by it defiling many. You know. So the danger about complaining is not just these couple of people here, it's like gangrene that spreads throughout the entire body and has the potential um, to destroy spiritual, the spiritual oneness and the powerful work that God was doing um, in the community at the time. Hey? So interesting, eh? That's such a small thing. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, I've been reading a little bit more about you know, the Israelites' journey, and everything that you see that had the most severe consequences were always the small things. Moses hits a rock instead of speaking to a rock, and the water still flows to feed the Israelites, and yet they miss. He, Moses misses out on the promised land. Just the little things, hey. But it's the little things that highlight, like we're saying, the operating system that lies behind it, eh? Um, and so I love that in here, those little things are too big to let slide, hey. So. Mm, any thoughts for the first couple of verses? No? Cool, cool. All right, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. So what was the criteria for being on the hospitality team? <laughs> In, in the book of Acts, that's the question that I have. Don't, don't answer Cena. We'll, we'll take this one and then you can, <laughs> you test your criteria against us and we'll see how we get on. <laughs> so, um, I guess the wisdom and Holy Spirit were the criteria and, um, um, I think it brings it back to that oneness in a whole, is that every believer, <clears throat> by the Spirit, we are joined in unity, and it's in the Spirit that joins us, and uh, being joined together means we rise together, and so taking care of the widows, the, the smaller or whatever type of things you we look at within the body is is so valuable and important because of the oneness, and um, so... Um, Every task at hand that a believer is asked to do uh, is absolutely criteria is the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit and what was it? Holy Spirit and wisdom. <laughs> uh, hello. <laughs> um, and, and knowing that the wisdom is, is what is the, you know, the practical outworking of, of the power that's, that's enabled. So, um, yeah. I think also um, when you're dealing with a situation and there has been complaints, you certainly need the wisdom of God to deal with that. And uh, if you go in there and try and work it out in your own, again, it's this whole root system, you know, is it flesh or is it spirit? So it's not just people of good reputation the, the life of God comes through his spirit. It doesn't come through our good ideas and our intellect. You know, um, Jesus said, thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and that you've revealed them to infants. There is a poor in spirit requirement, a humility for us to receive um, and, and receive the kingdom in the first place. And, and that, that whole manner of being is proven by the, the, you know, that's, that's what they're looking for. They're, they're looking for people that are living by the Spirit and their, and their, their fruit, your fruit will be obvious. 
not, not your fruit, the, the fruit of the Spirit will be obvious. And, you know, we need the love, the, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness in every single thing. So our, our life and everything that we are doing is only going to be fruitful for him if we're living by the Spirit. We can't just, like, put on our best show because our best show is still going to be feeding from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We might be able to do some good things, but it's the good things that take out the perfect will. And I think that's so so key in the sense of what is the purpose of community and the body of Christ? Because if if here in Acts the purpose was um, good table service, good hospitality, good baristering, good you know, um, if if that was what a good functioning body looked like, then the criteria I think for this role would have been exceptional people skills, good customer service, and. But you don't see any of that here, hey, you know. You see that they were looking for people that were filled of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, which says to me that the, that the functioning role was to serve a much greater purpose, which is what you were talking about, you know. It's this spiritual oneness. It's the church of Christ being built up. And so how can someone who's a good barista and able to function in an earthly role well and fill people's tummies with good coffee, fulfill the ultimate intention of God, which was, um, you know, the transformation of the body of Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, what I love is that it's not, it's not separate from a functional role because otherwise Stephen would have just been um, given the role as a preacher or a teacher, but actually he was given the role of table service. But he knew in his table service he was serving a much greater picture than just the smooth operation of the of the body of Christ, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, well, I love that it's not either or; it's both, and that that God was intimately concerned about the physical well-being of. Um, of elderly women being overlooked in the service of food and he made provision for that while not for a second allowing the focus of church community to shift from one another's physical needs at the expense of the ultimate eternal purpose that he had for them. And you can see this incredible um, unity eh, of function and purpose playing out side by side, completely interlinked um, in, in this um, body functioning here, hey? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, with every believer having the Holy Spirit and um, the, the wisdom, it actually means that we can do anything, any task at hand, right. and it's done with zeal, with passion, right. with diligence. We don't have to try to become the best barista or whatever. It's it's because the motivation and the in which we do it from, it comes from the purpose, right? And uh, I love what you're saying about, um, you know, fulfilling each other's needs doesn't take away from the perpetual priority of the word and prayer. And that's the same for us, you know, word and prayer. That has to continue and be, excuse me, a priority um, and not forsaking it for a task or for what a service needs to look like, you know, and the perfection of that. Yeah. I love there's a um, a really it's very special to me this particular um, scripture in First Peter four. And I'm just going to back it up to um, verse eight, but it's verse ten. I'm heading for above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And here it is: as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That is powerful. That each one of us, as, as we minister in him, no matter what it is, that we are ministering out of the, the faithfully administering the grace of God, the power of God, the charis of God, that, that is of a totally non-earthly source. And everything we do is done with that because we're literally ministering grace. Whatever we're doing, whether we are taking someone flowers, whether we're talking to someone, whatever we're doing, we're ministering the power of God. 
And so I feel like it, it takes away this mentality that's like, I, um, I can't serve because I'm not talented or, um, I don't have a gift. I can't, I'm not really a public speaker. I don't really know how to, you know, it's, it, 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 it puts it on a completely different level. Cause like you're saying, Sandra, you know, it says that we're stewards of the manifold grace of God. And that's something that we all are and that we all have. And so when we minister, regardless, even saying, you know, saying from saying hi to someone on the door or just having a conversation, there's an opportunity to um, to administer the manifold grace of God, loving one another, you know. Um, and I think that that is the greatest expression. My my role in the body is actually not to be a teacher, a preacher, an elder. It's to be a steward of the manifold grace of God. And if I don't fulfill that function, then I've I've missed everything, you know. Um, and it's easy to see that from the role of someone who's communicating. But what about the person who is behind the coffee machine? Do, do, do we all see our primary role as being a steward of the manifold grace of God as opposed to the steward of a good sermon or a good coffee? While we should steward those things right and well and do our absolute best to serve with excellence, absolutely. But it's both both and more, hey, as opposed to, to one or the other. All right, should we move on to the next, next verse? Uh, what are we, up to? are we up to? Verse four. But we will devote ourselves to uh, to prayer and the ministry of the word. Did we do that one? We did that one. Uh, sort of, yeah. Um, I I just oh I do actually have one more thing to say on that. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I I love that when Stephen was called to wait tables. I think we've touched on it before. He didn't see that as being an inferior role to the apostles who were called to minister the word and in prayer, you know? Um, and it would be so easy, you know, to see it that way, particularly as the apostles had just said, it's not good for us to neglect the word of God and prayer for the sake of serving tables. So we're calling you, Stephen, to serve tables. Just think about that, you know? Like, they're saying it is better for us to, to minister in this. So it's there is so much potential for this man, Stephen, to see, oh, you've got the second-rate job. You didn't quite cut it as a preacher, and so, therefore, you're in the hospitality team. Stephen does not see it in that way whatsoever. In fact, in fact, what we see here in the chapters that we're not going to look at is that, my goodness, he is a preacher and a half. So much so that he gets literally stoned to death because of the intensity and power that he's preaching with. And yet he was totally content to serve the body in the way that, not the way that he thought was appropriate, but the way that the apostles felt that there was a need. And so they said, Stephen, hey, this is, this is for you, you know? What an attitude, eh? What a, what a perspective of the body of Christ and his role, seeing that as being as equally valuable um, you know, almost, you know, playing, playing second fiddle to these big hot shots, but yet it was none of that, you know? Um, so anyway, all right, verse five, uh, yeah, verse five, all right. Um, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, uh, and Philip, um, Proherus, and those other guys, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. I love this verse here. Uh, the, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. Stephen the apostles, everyone else looking on. I think, to me, this whole idea of spiritual oneness is incredible, eh? Because it wasn't just one man's attitude towards this particular situation. It was an attitude that was shared amongst everyone, you know? Um, and because it was shared amongst everyone, there wouldn't, there was no need for other voices of criticism or to, to creep in to say, you know, do you know that they just demoted you to table service, you know, 
but to be of one heart and one mind and to say, hey, play your role well, run well, you know, serve well with the, the grace of God that is in you. Serve the body to the fullest extent that you can, hey. So you guys have any thoughts on, on those couple of, couple of verses? Yeah, I, I, I'm sitting on this. We've said it, but I think we need to say it again. This is not about hierarchy. Because the I must not say and cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. We have to realize that the kingdom of God is not isn't perceived and conceived the way flesh sees things. And and God does not see one person as more important than another. He just has got us all in order as a, as a family and as a body. And if there is any vestige of that comparative thinking, can I ask you to take it to Father? Because there is flesh. It's not him. It's not kingdom. It screams the kingdom of darkness to me, scrabbling over the tidbits of things that we can grab. It's that orphan spirit that that won't let go, and and the kingdom is is that which releases everything that we are and lays down our life because of love. And, and we don't have to scrabble for position or someone's approval or to feel important about ourselves because we're complete in Him. You know, um, that the very essence of who we are, the very essence of who Stephen was, of the apostles, of the, the church was that they were Christians. They were Christ ones. It was no longer them alive but it was Christ alive in them. And the life they were now living, they were living by faith in him because they'd seen something else and they knew they were loved and accepted and they'd been set free from that very hellish place where everything's about comparing. Yeah? That the reality of being set free from that thinking is part of our inheritance. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And I, again, I also think it comes back to the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of the fullness of Christ as our potential. Because I don't, I, I would hope for all of us, once we've tasted Christ, right, had a, had a part of Him, um, it, where it, it now literally, it's like you can do anything, be anywhere, and you are, you, you might feel it circumstantially or from outside, it might seem small who you are or what you do. Yet, when you know Christ and Christ in you, you feel everything you do is significant. Everything you're a part of is significant. Um, me and uh, Kirk last night were just looking at the stars last night. They're incredible. And um, couldn't help but think of the scripture about Abraham where God promises, you know, your descendants will be like the stars. And anyway, Kirk tries to look at every night. He'll look at the stars before bed. And I said to him last night, what, what is it about the stars? And he said, you know what? It just reminds me like how small I am, but in a, not a, like a, you're small, but it, 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 the greatness of God, but the smallness of him. And I looked at each star and they're so small, but every star small, but significant, right? And I feel like that's the life in Christ. And once we've tasted Christ, we are thrown into his story. And we literally see that our small part is actually so significant. And, um, it, and it just is not why or what we're doing. You just are. Um, and so, um, that the 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 part of Christ the what Christ has put in us the grace or the man or whatever you what the word you used earlier it's like that already invites us into the full picture of who he is and his body and that's why from that place we love one another we're affectionate towards one another we will do anything that we are asked to do from you know the the eldership or whatever because it's it's not 
there is a true, genuine sense of it's not about me and what I do. It's about the body becoming who he's called us to be because I love Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, inheritance isn't just about pie in the sky when you die. You know, it's it's about you've you've received something real now that's actually changed the way that you operate and function towards God and and towards one another. eh? You know, and so it is. It um, and and I think like what what Mal is is not saying is that you are completely. A, a pushover and just do whatever anyone says, but there's what I hear is that there's such a power that enables you to lay your life down. You know that it no longer serving is no longer about you because, like, you don't serve to receive because you have already received. There's no there's no void to fill. There's um, that's what inheritance is. You've actually you're actually so wealthy in Him. That you don't need to receive any kind of affirmation or, um, you know, appreciation title from other people because you've, you've received everything that you need and could possibly be fulfilled by those things in a surface level way, but you've got the very substance um, that is bigger and, and greater than all of that. Eh? So. And you know, Christ gives us titles like. He, you know, he calls us a kingdom of priests. So he calls us royalty. He calls us his children. Like we have titles in the kingdom, but if if we haven't received titles, from, like if we don't know Christ is giving us, telling us who we are, then we will seek titles outside, and the affirmation from outside. But yeah, that's, and that's that's the place of real authority. You know, where you function in a title not because you need the title, right. but because it's what God has put in you and place and has done through you. And just coming back to you know what we we're talking about before, you know, like. I, I love that. I feel like the apostles demonstrate that true authority, that they don't feel like they need to live in a state of false humility where they can't delegate serving tables to someone else because they know the best use of their time for the sake of the body is actually not to serve tables, it's to minister the word of God. But false humility will always say, oh, I better serve tables to show that I'm prepared to... You see what I'm saying? But the very position that empowers them to, to say, actually, it is more, it's, it's not beneficial for me to serve tables is the very heartbeat that if the father asks, hey, it's your time to serve tables, they would naturally do it, yeah, you know? That's right. And so you can see there's a, um, there's a heartbeat that has running through this entire congregation, eh, you know, um, that is in and through. Um, everyone, so it's massive. All right, let's keep going. We've, we've got all right six thirty. Let's let's keep going. All right. Is that all right? Is anyone busting with a question at this stage, or are we right to keep going for a little bit longer? We'll keep going. All right. Let's read a few verses. Verse seven: The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of the grace and power, uh, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Mm. I love verse 8 here. And Stephen, full of the grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. It's almost like, who is this guy? You know, like, he was invited to wait on tables, and here he is, like, just going for it, you know? Um, like, you know, obviously, you know, it's, um, Performing great wonders and signs among the people. I'm not sure what they were. Maybe, you know, healing or ministering in prophecy or uh, any number of expressions of the gift of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't limited by his function, but he was motivated by the life of God within him that expressed itself in a much bigger and fuller way than just his simple act of, of table service. Hey? Again, um are we the ones that are putting ourselves in silos or jobs in silos or functions in silos? You know, um, does, does the Lord say, 
when you're distributing to widows, all you're doing is giving them food? What what happens if this particular widow has fallen ill? Do you just give them food? So wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we have God inside us. <laughs> and and Holy Spirit wants to minister his power and the power of God and love in so many different ways. And it's not to create a sign and wonder. You don't sit there and you think, now's the big opportunity to be known for performing signs and wonders. It's not that. It's like love and listening to Holy Spirit says, pray for that sister. They, They haven't got... They haven't got a husband. Maybe they don't have um, children that can support them. That's why they're on the widow's list. So so father them and let, let me as father come through you. And so whatever we are doing, wherever we are, we don't have to be in a functioning role, but we are, as we are part of this family, we are, we've got our eyes open and our ears to him. We're... Just so that we're available, Father, if there's something that you need a word spoken that, that is going to build something into this person today, that you're just flowing in it. That's what being organically his. He's in Christ, and Christ is in him, and he's just coming out of him. So I think we're hearing of, of it because of what's about to come out. But I don't think, personally, I don't think Stephen is a lone ranger. I don't think he's the only one like this. Yeah. I think that we we get the story about him because of what's about to happen, because he was the first martyr. But this is normal Christianity. So don't think this is, oh, wow, if I could only be a little bit like Stephen. Don't be overwhelmed by this. This is who Christ, Christ was like this, and this is who we are. I remember the situation when I was working at, at work and income, and there was a lady who who came in to see me, and I, I just have thought of this now, but was, um, and she was from overseas, so she wasn't a client of ours, and um, she started. Uh, people come. I was what was called a work broker, so people come to me looking for help finding a job, um, and she came in and. You know, got chatting to her, and you know, we um, we couldn't help her with any of the programs or products that we offered because she wasn't on a benefit. She wasn't even a New Zealand resident or citizen. Um, but there was just something ab- about this lady that she there was a, a desperation, not in a attention seeking way. Um, and I remember there was a split second in our conversation, and um, I, when I knew that that we there was nothing that we could do to help her as a government. And um, I, I remember the thought ran through my mind, um, you know, just tell her that she can go to the Citizens Advice Bureau um, and they can kind of deal with her. And as soon as that thought came up in my mind, it was like another thought then came through that, but that, like, that is not why she's come. And so I just asked her, like, I just see like this challenging situation. What what's going on? And it just felt like a moment where I could have technically administered what my role was was as a government official, but there was a split second where I felt the Holy Spirit just placed on my heart, just ask her what's going on, you know. And she started to share with me about you know the real challenges back home and her husband who was caught up in the gangs who had her children with them that there was abuse going on and here she was in New Zealand not being able to um be there with her children not knowing what was going on and not being able to make contact with with her husband and she re- she opened up in a really vulnerable way and I and I just said hey I just said um I said to be honest and so she said, I need a job to be able to raise money so that I can get my kids over here, you know. And I said, to be, I said, to be honest, like literally as, you know, there's nothing that I can do to, to help you with the services that we provide here. But I said, um, um, but I said, can, uh, I said, um, I, I'm not sure how, I can't remember the exact words, but in, in essence, I said, but, um, but I do have something that can help you. I said, can we pray? Um, and 
And she said that she said that would be amazing. And so, under the security white plastic security screens, <laughs> we reached out, stretched out our hands. I held her hands, and we were and she was we were both bawling, eh? You know, and it was this incredible moment, this transaction of. Um, I think I, I think I said to her, I've, I, I think I said to her, I've, I can talk to I can talk to you about a greater hope than just finding a job, you know. And so I stretched out my hand and we held, you know, and um, shook hands and and prayed into the situation with with her family and her kids, and I, and and I never saw her again. I don't know if she got a job. I don't know if she got her kids. But what I do know is that she there was a transaction that happened where she encountered something. And she, you know, she said to me at the end, she said, she said, she said, wow, you never get this kind of treatment, um, in the government in India. <laughs> and I, and I said, oh, we, we don't normally treat our clients at, at working income like this either. <laughs> and so. She was under a new government. Yeah, yeah, this, I said, this is a new government, you know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't sharp enough to say that at the time, but, you know. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I certainly didn't talk to all of my working income clients like this, but there was a moment, you know, and it felt like the Holy Spirit led it and I was able to go there, you know, um, and I've had heaps of opportunities like that where in my earthly job, there's just been moments where I've been able to minister to people and, um, the security guard came up to me once because it has happened a few times and. And I had just had another encounter with a, another young man, Pacific Island guy, and a similar thing had happened where, you know, people come into work and income because they're having a rough time, you know, and, and so often it's people are vulnerable. And this one young Pacific Island guy who I actually knew, I knew his brother from high school, and it was a similar thing. He was sharing about his dad had just passed away, and so we, we were able to talk and we were able to pray and um once again under the security screens and I was holding his hand. <laughs> it was a similar situation. We were both, we had both lost it. And the security guard comes up to me and he's like, bro, you love those Pacific Island guys, eh? <laughs> and, um, anyway, <laughs> taking us off track, but it's just an example, you know, of what, you know, a technical functioning role working for an earthly government, but yet an opportunity to administer an eternal one, you know? That's right. And I think that that's what Stephen was doing. He was assigned to, to waiting on tables, but he operated in, in, in facilitating and administering something more than food. That's right. But eternal food, eh? You know? And he wasn't apostle Stephen, right? It's just his name, Stephen. Just as Sam is Sam at work, you know. And it, again, it just shows we don't. The title is is not the empowering source to to minister the gospel or you know to extend the kingdom. It's just knowing the King, really. Yeah. And my workmates don't know that I'm elder Sam. I'm not elder Sam <laughs> to the to them at work, you know. <laughs> and so they don't ex- they don't expect that of me, you know. They don't expect anything of me. So it's actually fantastic, you know, because it means that I can simply share because of what God has done in me and through me and it's and it's real, you know. So anyway, sorry I kind of like took <laughs> took over that one. Um does anyone else do you guys have any other thoughts from that from that verse? What about verse 10? But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and with the spirit with which he was speaking. I think, it, again, it comes back to that, you know, Matthew eleven twenty five that that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent um, and revealed them to the infants. You know, when he reveals... By the Spirit, we have the substance of that. It's not head knowledge, it's the substance of the revelation. So so we're not speaking um, because we know about, or we have memorized it, or we have done our lessons well. It, it's, it, Christ has been formed in us, and he has revealed those things within. So... So that's, that, that's how he builds his church, on the revelation of Christ. And, and the gates of hell will not, 
they, they won't be able to prevail against that. So here the gates of hell are, are trying to take him out. And it's interesting, isn't it? The, the, the opposition is not, um, those outside of, of the, the Jewish faith. They're right there in the middle of it. And it, it's that religious, the self-righteousness, the we know it, the pride, the things that have raised themselves up as vain imagination as the knowledge of God, but they're not. And again, we, we have this situation, and this has to happen to all of us. Spirit comes and has to smash flesh, you know. Spirit and flesh can't coexist. And so there has to be this confrontation where the spirit comes and either the flesh is going to run and then, then we're praying and, and father is sending and, and loving while he's pursuing the running flesh or the spirit, the flesh is going to bow down. And, you know, I was reading just this, um, recently again, you know, the, the one who falls on the rock is shattered to pieces and the one who who the rock falls on, we know the scripture well, that word to fall on the rock is literally to go from erect to prostrate. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So flesh has to come down under it. And, and what we see in the stoning of, of Stephen and with this interaction that's happening, flesh is pushing against it. We know better. You're wrong. And, and fully convinced that they, they were, that they were right. But it's this self-righteousness and, and, and the Spirit of God won't bow down to that because He loves us too much. You know, and so he is is showing himself to be God, and this to be mere man, mere flesh, that can't reveal anything to anybody and can't bring us into life. But God wants us in life, and so He allows this conflict. Um, and and Stephen has seen, he's seen and knows God. He's he's demonstrating the true knowledge of God that he has within him. He has seen something that doesn't bow down under this pressure, that doesn't mind having an argument because, as Todd White says, it's just um, earth groaning, you know. All of creation is groaning that the mature sons of God are revealed. It's just earth groaning. (laughs) So he's seen something, and that's for us. Awesome. Sorry, it's not a question, but where he talks about the wisdom and the spirit of God, sometimes we think argument, argument. We can we can do some really good arguing, and we can win our debates. But actually, the spirit of wisdom is not about arguing. It's actually when you think about Jesus and what he did. Sometimes he gave a parable. Sometimes he asked them a question. Sometimes he, he, he spoke into a situation. He revealed something to them. You know, the spirit of wisdom of God is, is something that is, can only come from him. And it's just listening for him and, and what was going on. And Stephen had that ability. It wasn't about arguing. When you see Jews, when they debate things, they argue over all sorts of things. That's what they're used to. But the spirit of what Jesus carried, the, the Pharisees couldn't, Debate it. They, they they couldn't get around it because the wisdom that Jesus gave was, oh, um, um, you know, and Jesus was able to speak into them, and they couldn't cope with it. And that's exactly what uh, Stephen was doing. That's great. I think um, to me, it's like it's interesting to to watch a conversation or an argument between someone who has lived experience and someone who just has a concept, you know? It'll be like Paul and I having a debate about what it's like to live in India. (laughs) And it's like there's there's a completely different posture that we'd be coming from. One who has been, you know, has, has grown up and has a real understanding of what it means to live and breathe in that culture and me, who I've watched Slumdog Millionaire, but 
<laughs> that's, that's about it, you know. Um, like, and so how's that debate going to go down, you know? And these elders, elders who really think that they know something and yet they don't know as they ought to know, you know? And they're totally unaware that they have a concept of something and they're adamantly de- debating it thinking that they know something but they actually haven't lived something you know and so i think it's it's a the debate between those two kinds of people to me that's the spirit that he was operating from this um this relationship with god was something that was real the holy spirit had 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 you know had so moved and ministered to stephen that it wasn't like chris was saying it there was no need to have this back and forward argument because he knew what was true. And I think the difference between, um, like, knowledge, knowledge of man and um, wisdom, you know, the the true knowledge of God, is um, man's knowledge will try to push itself. So, like, trying to cope. So what what happened to Stephen? We know that because of this dispute that they couldn't cope. It it led him... into them acu- falsely now accusing him of yeah. of things he didn't do but but even in the accusations it's very much about the law or Moses or the temple these external um things where the the knowledge of God the wisdom of God um you know that that is very different where we see Stephen who who will actually um for for the cause of Christ it will cost him his life and that's with wisdom, it will cost you your life to speak up the truth about who Christ is, that you know him to be, that it will sometimes, it's, it's at a cost of your life, um, where, uh, the, the man's knowledge is not prepared to do that, not prepared to, to risk reputation, not, not, um, willing to, uh, be seen in any other light, you know, and so there's a huge difference between wisdom and, and man's knowledge, and one will, will cost be at the cost of your life, and the other is is really maybe a diminishing of your reputation, um, and it will probably seem bigger for the self righteous with that. So, cool. All right, shall we skip down? Um, last um, last scripture. Yep. Um, cool. Uh, Verse 11, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against the holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. It's so funny because um, uh, yesterday the Lord just drew me into Daniel. And I ended up reading all of Daniel, and I haven't read Daniel for ages. And, And it was like... Man, there's so many similarities, and I'm not going to go into them now, but so many similarities to what we're hearing about here, to what we see in the life of Daniel. And um, uh, one of the things, and and it was cool because um, Chris Reddington um, prayed this in the early morning prayer this morning from Daniel 11.32. Um, it says, by smooth... Uh, this is the first part of it. By smooth words, he will turn the, to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God, what Mel was talking about, will display strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to many, yet they will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. And it, it carries on. And then in verse um, 3 of chapter 12, it says, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. When it says this mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory, 
You can't have Christ in you, the glory of God, without it coming out of you. It's going to manifest if it's truly there. And it's going to manifest in the nastiest times. Isn't it amazing? It's so good. It's just like squeeze the Christian and you get Christ come out. Squeeze the flesh and you get flesh manifesting. And I love that this thing was so powerful that it couldn't not express itself in his physical appearance. You know, it's almost like his his body couldn't contain what it was that he was in, even in light of a fierce debate and argument. You know, like should this not bring out the worst? But actually, it brought out the best. You know, so. Cool. Sorry, we said last scripture, but it's not the last scripture. <laughs> um, we're just, we'll just turn over the page. Are you guys cool? Are we right? Yep, cool. All right, um, we'll look at verse, uh, so chapter 7, verse 54, um, and pick up the story here. Um, all right, I'll just read it out again. Now, when they uh, so this is this is after Stephen has just preached a two-page sermon um, on the history of the Israelites and the work that God had been doing in and through them that entire time. Um, so, verse fifty-four. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Having said this, he fell asleep. Mm. Powerful words, hey? Amazing. It's so similar to uh, Jesus' trial, the false accusations, and and the way he glorified For the re- for the um, recording, is um, it's so this passage is so similar to Jesus's um, crucifixion and what he said at that same time. Mm. Um, I was reminded of promotion this week. A friend of mine from South Africa sent this message about uh, just God had spoken to her and had given her this word, and part of it was this promotion. And the the first thing I thought of was, what's the greatest promotion we can have? Death. Death. And I, thinking about Stephen, it's like, you know, for the unbelievers, promotion, there's that saying, you know, there's no um, promotion after death. For the unbelieving believers, I would say there's no promotion after death because there's a sense of striving of like, I need a longer life in order to, you know, promote myself here that, you know, and it's it's the wrong mindset. But for a true believer of Christ, who's already tasted, as I was saying, Christ, um, that, but that, you know, Stephen looked up and it's not like he just read the scripture, you know, Jesus at the right hand of the Father. He literally saw Jesus and before the witnesses that were surrounding him and accusing him, he had the witnesses of heaven looking at him going, go for it. And I just, it, it just was astounding just how, how much it was like Jesus. And, um, but yeah, the promotion thing is like a true believer. They, they know that when death comes, they're going to, they have that table that's reserved, the fullness of Christ that they're about to enter into. Yeah. And uh, that's the highest uh, promotion. And, and that's, I, it, when I read that, I think Stephen, he knew. He knew what he saw and he was about to come into it. And um, it was an honor to lay his life down. Yeah. yeah. 
And I love that this was way too early for the Bible to have been written. So he couldn't have read about Jesus's, you know, death and what Jesus said on, you know, on the cross and then thought, Oh, what am I going to say? <laughs> it's my dying words, you know, and like pre-prepared, you know, like a little sermon to say, you know, this, uh, this, these exact words flooded out of him, you know, not because he knew that was the right thing to say, but because it was the most genuine and realistic expression of what he was in, hey, you know. To me, it, um, it speaks of love. You know, to be able to love your enemies. <laughs> That's, that, that was what Jesus, um, spoke of, demonstrated. That's what, that's what Holy Spirit does within us. That, that we wouldn't be loving those that love us, but when we're powerless to love anyone else. And, and he actually demonstrated the very, very last things that he said was a prayer and a petition for those that didn't know. And, and Jesus said, for they do not know what they're doing. You know, he could see. And, and what a privilege when we can see. How, 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 how would we abuse someone that just can't see? You know, Jesus came and, and he took that scroll and he said, you know, uh, he, he talked about that when he took the scroll and read from Isaiah 61. And the spirit of the Lord has come come upon me. And, and part of it is that the, the blind will receive their sight. He knows that until we have our eyes opened by the spirit of God, we are blind. And so anyone that is ab- accusing us or abusing us or um, saying false things about us or whatever it is are just being horrible, they simply don't know who they are. They simply haven't had their eyes opened. And so the capacity to love is is there and to pray that eyes would be opened for, for so that they can come into life, you know. It's interesting to me that it's like the you know words when it's said and done, only demonstration will, yeah. will um will stand up and be at the end. And it seems to happen, you know, the the climax of these situations where uh, I thought it was interesting where it says they ran at him in one accord. And block their ears. And those who can't hear will run in the same direction and with the same, um, idea, you know, and those who hear, it's, it's almost direct opposition. And it's, it's always the, the, um, collision of the two kingdoms hit yeah. this peak. And at the end of the day, the kingdom of God is, is of power and of demonstration and, um, unity in that again, you know, wisdom mm. vindicated. Wisdom vindicated. Wisdom vindicated.